Recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink. This is Friday, April 1st, 2011. April Fool's Day. I guess it's the, um, I saw an email the other day. It was pretty good. I guess it's the atheist national holiday. The fool says in his heart, there is no God, so this is his day, right? Praise Yahweh. Thank you for being here. This is the, um, I, I don't know how many it's been. This is, this is Revelation chapters 19 and 20. It, it must be about a dozen programs by now. And, and I'll probably wrap up my interpretation of the Revelation next week with chapters 21 and 22. In Revelation chapters 14 through 16, we saw that this age was the age of the harvest of both the parched and the ripe vines of the earth. And that this was that time of Jacob's trouble foretold in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, and Daniel chapter 12. Then we saw the conditions for this age described, and, and we were given a means by which to identify them and the causes of them, so long as they are understood in connection with the previous chapters of the Revelation. It is evident that this last age began when the power of the papacy over the kings of Europe ended, and the emancipation of the Jews happened in the time of Napoleon. In Revelation chapters 17 and 18, we then saw a description of the great whore and the beast which she wrote upon. It is evident that the beast is the same old globalist system of control and economics and world trade that had been set up in past ages and in different ways by the same old dragon, Satan, the internationalist Jews and their Kenite and Canaanite ancestors. We see that the whore joins herself to the beast, but in reality, the beast hates the whore. That is exactly the situation which we have in the world today. How could the relationship of the white race with the Jew be subscribed more succinctly? I don't know. The internationalist Jews hate the white race, and they endeavored to destroy it in miscegenation and with the wars which they constantly instigate. Yet the beast makes its profits from the whites who conduct business with it, sweat from white brows, and innovation from white minds, all which allow the beast to do what it does in the first place. Try to find a viable financial endeavor to capitalize in the bowels of Africa or Asia or among the squat monsters of Latin America, without using anything that was invented or created by a white man. It is practically impossible. Yet the Israelite people among the white race, descendants of the Saxons and Celts and related peoples who make up the majority of whites today, are indeed the body of Christ. Here in Revelation chapters 19 and 20, we will see the fate of the dragon the fate of the alien multitudes and of all those who have advanced themselves towards the Christian peoples of Europe, America, and wherever else the body of Christ is found. Yahweh has promised that he will sanctify his people. Sanctification means separation and devotion for the purposes of God, just as described in Exodus chapter 19, that Israel would indeed be a separate people. God is not mocked. All of his words shall indeed be fulfilled. Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. 
After these things, I heard a great sound of many multitudes in heaven, saying, Praise Yah, salvation and honor and power are of our God, because his judgments are righteous and true. Since he has judged the great whore who has ruined the earth with her fornication, that's us, and he has avenged the blood of his servants from her hand. Remember, we're speaking about the events surrounding the fall of Babylon in chapter 18, verse 3. Then they spoke a second time, praise Yah, that her smoke ascends for the eternal ages. And the twenty-four elders fell down, and the four living creatures, and they worshipped Yahweh who sits upon the throne, saying, truly, praise Yah. That's my, that's my translation of hallelujah, which is literal and not a transliteration. Verse 5, And the voice came out from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all his servants, and fear him, small men and great men. It was said at the beginning of chapter 17 that the whore is Israel in apostasy from God, and that is true. But here the whore seems to be referring to the beast also, to mystery Babylon, and that is also true. The whore the people of Israel, having joined herself to the beast, has become one flesh with the beast. So while at the beginning of John's image of the whore, at the beginning of chapter 17, the whore and the beast are distinguished. Now they are no longer distinguished. Paul wrote, Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 31 and 32, For this reason shall a man leave father and mother and shall join to his wife, and the two shall be for one flesh. This mystery is great, and I speak for Christ and for the assembly. Paul was talking about husband-wife relations. However, Israel is supposed to be the wife of Yahweh and a separate people, not joined to any beast. It may be postulated that one of the mysteries of iniquity is this, that without the whore, the beast would have no real power at all. The dragon has always ruled through the cooperation of members of our own race whom it was able to compromise and corrupt. Adam's compromise was the second sin in the Garden of Eden, fornication being the first. All of the world empires that the dragon came to control began as Adamic nations. It says in this passage, speaking of God, that he has, quote, avenged the blood of his servants. Only the children of Israel are ever called the servants of God in the Bible in either testament. The words of Yahweh through the prophet Isaiah concerning Israel, Isaiah chapter 41, verses 8 and 9. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, and called thee from the chief men thereof. And he said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee, and not cast thee away. Of course, Isaiah is writing this as the children of Israel are being deported by the Assyrians. This has never changed. The words of Jeremiah, long after that deportation, chapter 30, verses 10 and 11. Therefore fear not, fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith Yahweh, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, 
I will save thee from afar, and thy seed, or children, from the land of their captivity, and Jacob shall return and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with thee, saith Yahweh, to save thee, though, and this is important, I make a full end of all the nations where I have scattered thee. Yet I will not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure, and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. Yahweh is used and is using all of these other peoples, even other Adamic peoples, as a rod with which to punish his servant Israel. Yet he promised to make a full end of all of those people and not to make a full end of the children of Israel. These same sentiments are expressed by Yahweh again through the prophet Jeremiah in chapters 46, verses 27 and 28. It's almost an exact duplicate of the verses I just read. In the Gospel of Luke, the words of Mary as she stood before her expectant cousin, Elizabeth, from Luke chapter 1, verses 54 and 55, and I quote, He has come to the aid of his servant, Israel, to call mercy into remembrance, just as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring for the age, or forever. The new covenant was made with none other than those who were party to the old covenant. At Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 25 and 26, Yahweh states, Thus saith Yahweh God, When I shall have gathered the house of Israel from among the people whom they are scattered, and shall be sanctified them in the sight of the heathen, or nations, as it should probably be translated, they shall dwell in their land that I have given to my servant Jacob. They shall dwell safely therein and shall build houses and plant vineyards. Yeah, they shall dwell with confidence. When I have executed judgments upon all those that despise them round about, and they shall know that I am Yahweh their God. Further on in this chapter, it shall be investigated exactly what that judgment entails. But Jeremiah twice says that Yahweh will make a full end of all the nations where Israel was scattered. That's about the entire face of the planet. Revelation 19, verse 6. And I heard like a sound of many multitudes, and like a sound of many waters, and like a sound of mighty thunder, saying, Praise Yah, for Prince Yahweh the Almighty reigns. We should be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, because the wedding feast of the Lamb has come, and his wife has prepared herself. And it is given to her that she is wrapped in clean, bright linen. For linen is the vindications of the saints, or sanctified ones. And he says to me, right, blessed are those invited to the dinner of the wedding feast of the Lamb. Only the children of Israel have ever been invited to this feast. Those without wedding garments are rejected and cast out. And he says to me, these are true words from Yahweh. Verse 10. And I fell before his feet to worship him, and he says to me, no, look. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Yahshua, worship Yahweh. For the testimony of Yahshua is the spirit of interpreting prophecy. The children of Israel are the bride and none other. For Yahweh only prophesied these things concerning Israel. In Revelation chapter 21, it is stated that the city which descends from heaven 
is the wife of the Lamb. However, the term Jerusalem, as it was, as it was used in the prophets, speaking of the future, indicates the seat of government of the people of Yahweh, wherever they happen to be, even long after the old city by that name had been destroyed, and permanently destroyed, as it is evident in the parable of Jeremiah's broken bottle, given in Jeremiah chapter 19, that the old city of Jerusalem would be destroyed. It would be broken like a bottle and never be made whole again. The city which descends from heaven represents the abode of Israel, for the gates of the city have on them the names of the twelve tribes of Israel, and no one else shall enter that city. Revelation 21.12 John the Baptist said, from John 3, verse 29, He having the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bride, who stands and hears him, rejoices in joy, because of the voice of the bridegroom. Therefore, this, my joy, is fulfilled. Yahweh said through the prophet in Isaiah 54, 5, For thy maker, speaking to Israel, is thine husband. Yahweh of hosts is his name, and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. If he, Yahweh, is still the redeemer of Israel, then he is still the husband of Israel. Yahweh is indeed husband and redeemer of Israel, for he is Yahshua Christ in the flesh. Likewise, Yahweh says through the prophet Hosea, in Hosea chapter 2, verse 7, And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. This is speaking of the deported Israelites. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better with me than now. The first husband being Yahweh. And at Hosea 2.20, quote, I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know Yahweh. Hosea proves that Israel by accepting Christianity, is returning to Yahweh as the husband, which can only be the Christ. That is why the wedding supper of the Lamb here in the Revelation, that is what the Revelation supper of the Lamb here in the Revelation is all about. The wedding supper of the Lamb. I'm sorry for tripping over myself. That is why John the Baptist referred to Christ as the bridegroom, and Christ often referred to himself as the bridegroom, for these same reasons, Paul said to Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11.2, For I am jealous over you with godly, godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. The return of Israel to Christ is a betrothal. The new covenant and the wedding supper are not yet fulfilled not fulfilled until his return, which we are told at Acts 1.11 will be, quote, in the manner which you have beheld him going into heaven, so shall be the return of Christ. The wedding feast itself, as we shall see, is the destruction 
of all of the enemies and aliens among the children of Israel, so that the bride may be sanctified and cleansed in preparation for her union with her husband. Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw the heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he sitting upon it faithful and true, and he judges in righteousness and makes war. Now his eyes are as flames of fire, and upon his head are many diadems, having a name inscribed which no one knows except him. And he is cloaked with a garment dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of Yahweh. John chapter 1. And the armies in heaven follow upon him, upon white horses clothed with clean white linen. And a sharp sword comes out from his mouth, in order that with it he may smite the nations, and he shall shepherd them with an iron staff. And he shall trample the vat of the wine of the wrath of the anger of Yahweh Almighty. And he has upon his garment and upon his name, his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Sovereign of Sovereigns, or Lord of Lords. From the word of Yahweh in Deuteronomy 32, verses 41 and 42, and I quote, If I wet my glittering sword and mine hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to mine enemies and will reward them that hate me. I will make mine arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh, and that with the blood of the slain and of the captives, from the beginning of revenges upon the enemy. They are absolute fools who think that the kingdom of heaven consists of the sons of Adam ruling over non-Adamic so-called peoples with the laws of our God, as if as the Apostle Peter called them, natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed could ever actually understand or abide in his law. This is the failed missionary purpose of the past 500 years, and look at where it has gotten the white race today. This is the same foolish logic that caused our ancient ancestors to enslave the Canaanites rather than eliminate them as Yahweh commanded. It is a doctrine designed to promote the preservation of devils, as if empathy for the devil was ever edifying to the assembly of God. The children of Israel, being sheep, Christ informs them thus, quote, You should not give that which is holy to the dogs, nor should you cast your pearls before swine, lest they shall trample them with their feet, and turning, they would rend you to pieces. Can the nature of the swine or the dogs ever change? Does a leopard change its spots? Should Joshua Christ ever change his admonition? Of course not. He does not change. Since in the parable of the sheep and the goat nations, and we'll discuss it at length here later, Christ explains that only the sheep nations shall remain, then only the sheep nations will be shepherded with a rod of iron, which is his law. Which he only ever gave to the children of Israel. 
The trampling of the wine vat mentioned in verse 15 represents that same harvest of parched and ripe grapes described in Revelation chapter 14. We see that this entire set of chapters is all a picture of the last time, the time of Jacob's trouble. There are several prophecies which indicate that the children of Israel shall be besieged by peoples of the other so-called races at the day of Yahweh's wrath. Among these prophecies are Jeremiah 31, verses 27 through 30, which appear right before a promise of the new covenant, which is not yet fully consummated. That's what the revelation is all about, the consummation of the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 27. Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that like as I have watched over them to pluck up and to break down and to throw down and to destroy and to afflict, so will I watch over them to build and to plant, saith Yahweh. In those days they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten a sour grape, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eats the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. To understand sour grapes, we have to go back to Deuteronomy and, and the grapes and the vine, of, the bitter vine of Sodom and Gomorrah. So it should be evident that the current situation, where all sorts of aliens are flooding into white lands, is a judgment from Yahweh. However, just as Yahweh used the Assyrians and the Babylonians to chastise the children of Israel in ancient times, and then he punished the Assyrians and Babylonians, wiping them from the face of Mesopotamia, so he shall punish these beasts which are flooding Israelite lands presently. Isaiah corroborates that these are indeed beasts, where he says in Isaiah 56, verses 9 to 11, All ye beasts of the field come to devour. That's what they're doing now. Yeah, all ye beasts in the forest. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. They want to give Mexicans train tickets back to Mexico. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yeah, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, every one for his gain from his quarter. While Israel is suffering a judgment from Yahweh, it is the watchmen of Israel who have allowed this to happen, seeking after their own bellies rather than guarding the true flock of God and telling them the truth about these things. Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 have a parallel in these chapters of the Revelation, and especially in chapter 20, which shall be discussed below, Yahweh willing. Ezekiel describes how Gog and Magog and many other nations with them are gathered against the children of Israel in the last days. Ezekiel 38.16 states that they shall, quote, come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the later days, and I will bring thee against my land, 
that the heathen, or rather the nations, the nations of Israel, may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O God, before their eyes. The language of Ezekiel chapter 39 will be compared with parts of Revelation chapters 19 and 20 momentarily. First, the Psalms tell us explicitly who Yahshua Christ shall make war against at his return. Psalm 79. This psalm reflects the attitude of a repentant Israel. O God, the heathen are come into thine inheritance. The holy temple they have defiled. The holy temple being today the body of Christ, the people of true Israel. They have laid Jerusalem on heaps. Look at Washington. Look at London. The dead bodies of thy servants they have given to thee meat to the fowls of heaven, the flesh of thy saints unto the beasts of the earth. Their blood have they shed like a water round about Jerusalem, and there was none to bury them. We are become a reproach to our neighbors. That describes the white race today. A scorn and derision to them that are round about us. How long, Yahweh, wilt thou be angry forever? Shall thy jealousy burn like fire? Pour out thy wrath upon the heathen that have not known thee. Amos 3.2 explicitly states that Yahweh has only known the children of Israel. And upon the kingdoms that have not called upon thy name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid his dwelling place waste. Oh, remember not against us the former iniquities. Let thy tender mercies speedily prevent us. For we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of thy name, and deliver us, and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is their God? That's what they're saying now. Let him be known among the heathen in our sight by the revenging of the blood of thy servants which is shed. Let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee. According to the greatness of thy power, preserve those that are appointed to die, meaning the children of Israel, who were under the law of the adulterous wife, but now have mercy through Christ. Verse 12. And render unto our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom their reproach, wherewith they have reproached thee, O Yahweh. So we thy people and the sheep of thy pasture will give thee thanks forever. We will show forth thy praise to all generations. The same situation is being repeated here throughout Christendom at this very at this very moment. Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is a messianic prophecy for the second advent. And the prayer which all Israel should utter today. Verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto Yahweh, for he is good, because his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endures forever. Let them now that fear Yahweh say that his mercy endures forever. 
I called upon Yahweh in distress, and Yahweh answered me and set me in a large place. Yahweh is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's quoted in the New Testament. Yahweh takes my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in Yahweh than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in Yahweh than to put confidence in princes. There is no political solution to our woes today. Verse 10. All nations compassed me about. That's exactly the situation we're in right now. But in the name of Yahweh will I destroy them. They compassed me about. Yeah, they compassed me about. But in the name of Yahweh, I will destroy them. They compassed me about like bees. They're quenched as the fire of thorns. For in the name of Yahweh, I will destroy them. I will not send them back to wherever the hell they came from. The eye representing the body of Christ. Verse 13. Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall, but Yahweh help me. Yahweh is my strength in song and has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteousness, the, of the righteous, the right hand of Yahweh does valiantly. The right hand of Yahweh is exalted. The right hand of Yahweh does valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare the works of Yahweh. Yahweh has chastened me sore, but he has not given me over to death. Remember the words of Jeremiah, chapter 30, cited previously, that Yahweh would punish Israel and destroy all the nations where Israel was scattered. He would make a full end of all the peoples where Israel was scattered. There is no mincing the words of the gospel. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them and I will praise Yahweh. This gate of Yahweh which is the, into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee. For thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. And this is quoted by Christ. The stone which the builders refused has become the head of the corner. The builders were those original Israelites who demanded an earthly king, sinfully rejecting Yahweh as their king. Verse 23. This is Yahweh's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which Yahweh has made, the day of Yahweh's wrath. We will rejoice and be glad in it, the day in which all the other nations that came against Israel are destroyed. Verse 25. Save now, I beseech thee, O Yahweh. O Yahweh, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that comes in the name of Yahweh. We have blessed you out of the house of Yahweh. Yahweh is God, which has showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. 
Oh, give thanks unto Yahweh, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Isaiah chapter 41, already cited above, also guarantees the complete destruction of all those who come against Israel in the later days. Here is a longer segment of that prophecy, and I'll reread verses 8 and 9, which I quoted above. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, and called thee from the chief men thereof, and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee, and not cast thee away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yeah, I will help thee, yeah. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing. And they that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them and shall not find them. Even them that contended with thee, they that war against thee shall be as nothing and as a thing of naught. For I, Yahweh thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, thou worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith Yahweh, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument, having teeth. Thou shalt thresh the mountains and beat them small, and shalt make the hills of chaff. Thou shalt fan them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the whirlwind shall scatter them, and thou shalt rejoice in Yahweh, and shalt glory in the Holy One of Israel. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, Yahweh, will hear them, and the God of Israel will not forsake them. I will open the rivers in high places, and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water, and the dry land springs of water. The language of these last few verses is reminiscent of Micah chapter 4, a chapter about this very nation, the United States, as has been discussed throughout this interpretation of the Revelation several times already. Yahweh states in Micah chapter 4, at verse 13, Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make thine horn iron, and I will make thy hooves brass, and thou shalt beat in pieces many people, and I will consecrate their gain unto Yahweh, and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. Revelation 19, verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war with him sitting upon the horse and with his army. And he seized the beast, and with him the false prophet, who had been making signs before him, by which he deceived those having received the inscribed mark of the beast, and who worshipped his image. These two are cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with sulfur. And those remaining were slain by the sword of him sitting upon the horse, which came from out of his mouth, 
and all the birds of heaven ate their fill from their flesh. Those remaining were slain by the sword of him sitting upon the horse, which came out from his mouth, and all the birds ate their fill from their flesh. Here it is fitting to review parts of Ezekiel chapter 39, since much of the language is similar to that which is found in Revelation chapters 19 and 20, and it is surely a prophecy of the same events which we look forward to now. Ezekiel chapter 38 foretells of the nations arrayed against the children of Israel, and how they come in like a cloud to cover the land. They may or may not be describing a military invasion. The phrase, come in like a cloud, may describe their coming in, coming in covertly, as Western immigration policy in all white nations has allowed in tens of millions of aliens under the guise of peace. In the name of fraternity, equality, and liberty, those false ideals espoused by the beast and by the false prophet. The beast and the false prophet are two different aspects of the same enemy. The beast is the Jew of international finance, and the false prophet is the rabbinical Jew of Talmudism, Satan himself posing as the chosen of God, promoting all of the desires of his father, the devil. Certain parts of Ezekiel chapter 39 seem to indicate that it is indeed describing military invasion. However, that is not a requirement for the realization of the prophecy. All of these alien peoples have already come in like a cloud to cover the land of all the nations of the earth which are inhabited by the children of Israel. It has been done under the pretenses of multiculturalism, diversity, globalism, open borders, immigration, workers' rights, and so on ad nauseum, yet in the minds of the aliens themselves, they are not immigrants, but conquerors, and Jewish propaganda conceals the aliens' true sentiments. Ezekiel 39, chapter 1, Therefore thou son of man prophesy against Gog, we will see Gog mentioned again when we get to Revelation chapter 20, and say, Thus saith Yahweh God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. And I will turn thee back, and leave but the sixth part of thee, and will cause thee to come up from the north parts, and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. And I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand, and will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. Meshech and Tubal were the Slavic Jepetai peoples of Russia. It could be established that, there being no Gog in historical, historic times. The name is an epithet for the Ashkenazi Jew who came from southern Russia into the West and under the guise of peace and commerce has operated a criminal enterprise throughout Christendom for many centuries now. It was Jews in France who were behind the French Revolution which set the stage for all subsequent European wars and revolutions and both Sephardic and Ashkenazi Jews have participated in fostering these upheavals, so that all Jewry may share in the spoils. The Ashkenazi Jew took over Russia in the Bolshevik Revolution, 
and he was financed by Jews in London and New York. While it appears that Marxist communism and the capitalism of the West are opposed to one another, they are actually in league with one another. And the Ashkenazi Jew is operating in partnership with his Sephardic cousins. Therefore, Gog is Ezekiel's term for the eighth beast of Revelation chapter 18, which is world Jewry. Having infiltrated 19th century Christianity and having poisoned its doctrines with the Bullinger and Schofield Bibles and other such works, now most of the true Christian Israel peoples of the world worship this beast. This is the beast which gathers all of the nations to battle against the children of Israel, which is also described in Revelation chapter 20. We will get to momentarily. Ezekiel 39, verse 4. Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy bands, and the people that is with thee. They're not going back to Mexico. I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort, and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. This describes the Jew and all of the aliens who have immigrated into western lands at the instigation of the Jew. By the hand of God, they shall all be destroyed here. As it is described at Revelation chapter 19, verse 21, quote, those remaining who had made war with him sitting upon the white horse, those remaining were slain by the sword of him sitting upon the horse, which came from out of his mouth, and all the birds ate their fill from their flesh. So we see it here. So it is evident that the wedding feast of the Lamb is the destruction of all of his enemies in the last day, all of those who would come against the children of Israel. And that Revelation chapters 19 and 20 are discussing the same things prophesied by Ezekiel in 38 and 39. Ezekiel 39, 5. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith Yahweh, and I will send a fire on Magog, and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they shall know that I am Yahweh. So will I make my name holy, make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them pollute my name any more. No more integration. And the heathen, or nations, the nations of Israel, and the nations shall know that I am Yahweh, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is coming, it is done, saith Yahweh God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth, and shall set on fire, and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows, and the handstaves and the spears. And they shall burn them with fire for seven years, so that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any out of the forests, for they shall burn the weapons with fire, and they shall spoil those that spoil them, and rob those that rob them, saith Yahweh God. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give God a place there of graves, in Israel, the valley of passengers on the east of the sea, and it shall stop the noses of the passengers. 
and there shall they bury Gog and all his multitude, which are all the races accompanying the eighth beast. And they shall call it the Valley of Ham and Gog. And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them, that they may cleanse the land. Yeah, all the people of the land shall bury them and shall be able and it shall be to them a renown in the day that I shall be glorified, saith Yahweh. And they shall sever out men of continual employment passing through the land to bury with the passengers, those that remain upon the face of the earth, to cleanse it. And after the seven months shall they search. Yahweh God shall be glorified by eliminating all of the aliens among us, just as he was glorified by eliminating the firstborn of Egypt. All those peoples who come against the children of Israel in the last days, those beasts which the house of Israel and the house of Judah are sown with, as described by Jeremiah, the beasts of the forest who arise and devour the people of God because their dumb dog pastors do not know any better, as described by Isaiah, they shall all be destroyed here. All of these aliens pillaging the lands of Christendom today, they shall all be destroyed here. There is no mincing words here. This is the gospel of Christ, as found in the Revelation and in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. It is the word of God, and to be ashamed of these words is to be ashamed of him and to invoke his shame upon us. Those false pastors, in Christian identity especially, because they should know better. Those false pastors who teach a gospel other than what we have received, they are accursed. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. And I saw a messenger descending from out of heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand. And he held fast the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the false accuser and the adversary. And he bound him for a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and barred and set a seal upon it, that he may no longer deceive the nations, until the thousand years should be completed. After these... It is necessary for him to be released for a short time. Just as Revelation chapters 12 and 13 were overviews of the prophecies and the events, the events which had been prophesied, which had proceeded, told from differing perspectives and including different aspects of the same story, so is Revelation chapter 20 an overview of what has been and of what is about to transpire, so that those for whom it is intended may understand and be able to identify these things. The dragon, that serpent of old, is those who are of the assembly of the adversary who claim to be Judah and are not, Revelation chapters 2.9 and 3.9. These people are actually the Kenite, Canaanite, Edomite Jews. All of those tribes, the Kenites, Canaanites, and Edomites, being related, as is evident in the book of Genesis, 
for instance, chapters 4, 10, 15, and 36, who infiltrated Judea long before the first century B.C., for which we can see Ezekiel chapters 35 and 36, Malachi chapters 1 and 2, Luke chapter 11, verses 50 through 51, Romans chapter 9, John chapter 8, verses 8 through 40, verses 33 through 47, and Revelation chapter 12. When Christianity became the original religion of the Roman Empire, laws were passed against the Jews in the 4th and 5th centuries, which excoriated the Jew from Christian society. It became unlawful for Jews to hold any public office or military position. It became unlawful for Jews to own Christian slaves or to loan money to Christians at usury. From the time of Justinian, Jews caught owning Christian slaves faced execution. Many Jews were therefore persuaded to leave the grounds of the empire, and they migrated into Khazaria, Arabia, and elsewhere. Thus the creation of the Quran and the Ashkenazi Jew. In medieval Europe, those Jews who remained were forced to live in separate communities. But within those communities, they were allowed their own laws. They existed in Europe as chattel property of the nobles, for the profit of the nobles. This is when it was fulfilled, as we find in Revelation 3.9, that those who claim to be Judeans and are not, Christ shall make them that they shall come and shall worship before your feet, as the Jews were forced to do, for a thousand years before Christian nobles throughout Europe. Revelation 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they who sat upon them, and judgment had been given to them, and the souls of those having been beheaded on account of the testimony of Yahshua, and on account of the word of Yahweh, and who did not worship the beast nor his image, and did not receive the inscribed mark upon their foreheads and upon their hands, and they lived and ruled with Christ for a thousand years. This language is allegorical. For a thousand years, for better or worse, Christianity prevailed in Europe, and Christian governance, albeit often in name only, was the general way of life. The martyrs, those early Christians who did not worship the first beast, who died in pagan Rome at the instigation of the Jews during the persecutions of Christians, the martyrs were now vindicated and venerated as the heroes and examples that they were. Although one cannot endorse the Roman Catholic practice of making statues and praying to the images of men, the Jews attempted to destroy Christianity and used the Romans to persecute them. But the testimony of the Christian martyrs prevailed over the Jews. Revelation 20, verse 5. This is the first restoration. Verse 6. Blessed and holy is he having a part in the first restoration. Over these, the second death 
does not have authority, but they shall be priests of Yahweh and of Christ, and they shall rule with him for the thousand years. Verse 5 here contains only the words, this is the first restoration. Restoration being a literal meaning of the Greek word usually translated resurrection in most Bibles. In the King James Version, and most others which are based upon the so-called majority texts, there is a lengthy interpolation inserted at the beginning of verse 5, which reads, But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This interpolation has caused many people to uphold the idea that none of Revelation chapter 20 has been fulfilled, because there is no resurrection since the time of Christ. Yet, in truth, none of this interpolation belongs in the text. It is an addition to the manuscripts, an addition which found its way into certain texts after the 9th century A.D. Even the majority text manuscripts are divided on this interpolation. Those which have it, and which the King James Version of Revelation was based upon, are in the minority. They're in the minority of the majority text manuscripts. I know that's hard to follow. The majority text manuscripts of the Koine Greek tradition do not have this interpolation. And they are by far the more numerous. The interpolation is found only in a small number of manuscripts which were derived and preserved from a commentary on a revelation made by a medieval monk named Andreas of Caesarea. But these represent only a small portion of the majority text manuscripts of the revelation, and the words are not in any of the much earlier manuscripts of the revelation which we now possess, such as the Codex Sinaiticus. It is very clear to inquiring scholars that the interpolation here concerning the resurrection of the dead does not belong in our texts of the Revelation. But most editions of the Bible include it anyway because of so-called church tradition, ignoring the warnings and curses admonishing those making additions to this book, which are found at Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. So Revelation 5 only says... In the oldest manuscripts, this is the first restoration. Revelation 20, verse 7. And when a thousand years are completed, the adversary shall be released from his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them to battle, of which the number of them is as the sand of the sea. This is another prophecy of that same event found in Ezekiel chapter 39. Let us read Revelation verses 7 Let us read Revelation chapter 17 verses 7 through 14 once again. Quote, and the messenger said to me, For what reason do you marvel? I shall tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast carrying her, having the seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw was and is not, and is going to ascend from out of the bottomless pit and go into destruction. 
and those dwelling upon the earth, whose name is not written in the book of life and the foundation of society, shall marvel, seeing the beast that was and is not, and shall be present. Thus is the mind having wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains, where the woman sits upon them, and there are seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, another has not yet come. And when he should come, it is necessary that it remains a short time. And the beast which was and is not, this is the beast that comes out of the pit, even he is the eighth and is from of the seven and goes into destruction. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have never received the kingdom, but they shall receive authority as kings for one hour with the beast. These have one mind and power, and they give their authority to the beast. These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them, because he is prince of princes and king of kings, and those with him called and chosen and faithful. Revelation chapter 17 explains that the eighth beast, verse 11, is the same as that beast upon which the woman is seated and which ascends from out of the pit. Verse 8, Mystery Babylon, the eighth beast, is therefore shown to be one and the same as this Satan here in chapter 20, which is the adversary who emerges from the pit. This has already happened, and it is the very reason why all the nations of this world are deceived and under the control of the international Jew today. This process began with the de' Medici popes and the acceptance of usury by Christendom in the 1500s and culminated when the Jew was finally emancipated in Europe at the time of the French Revolution and Napoleon Bonaparte. Satan had been locked away. The Jews were kept apart from Christians for a thousand years. Now, with his emancipation, he is free to go out and deceive all the nations with his cries for liberty, equality, fraternity, which have today all the world's goat nations threatening the very existence of the white race. I don't know how I could make this any clearer. Revelation 20, verse 9. All I could say is Satan is out of the pit. If all of the nations are deceived, Satan is out of the pit. That's the way it is. This is not going to happen in the future. It's already done happened. Verse 9. And they had gone up upon the breadth of the earth and encircled the encampment of the saints and the beloved city. And fire descended from out of heaven and devoured them. This is talking again about Gog and Magog and all his multitudes, all of the beasts that the houses of Israel and Judah are sown with. Fire descends from out of heaven and devours them. And the false accuser who deceived them is cast into the lake of fire and sulfur. Where are also the beast and the false prophet? And they shall be tormented day and night for the eternal ages. Now, whether there is an actual military invasion of white Christian nations by aliens does not matter. Already, 
all of the white Christian nations have been and currently are being overrun, looted, and pillaged by aliens without a military. In many white nations today, genocide is being disguised merely as criminal behavior and hidden behind statistics while reports everywhere are distorted or squelched by Jewish-controlled media outlets. Christendom is overrun by the aliens which hate the whore. While whites who do while whites who do stand up and speak out are persecuted even by those of their own race. This is all the proof that's required that Yahweh God has handed over their kingdom to this last beast as described in Revelation chapter 17 verse 17. Those whites who worship the beast, who take the side of the beast against their own race and fail to love their brother, they take upon themselves the mark of the beast. Usually they got one wrapped around their waist or hanging from their hip. At the end of this age, upon the return of Christ, the false accuser or devil which is the adversary, or Satan, all Jewry and all of those who are opposed to Christ are cast into the lake of fire. The adversary, the beast, and the false prophet are no more. There are several parables given by Christ and recorded in the gospel which discuss this same thing, and they must be included in this discussion here. The explanation of the parable of the wheat and the tares, in part, from Matthew chapter 13, verse 37. He sowing the good seed is the son of man. Now the field is the world, and the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the false accuser, or devil. And the harvest is the consummation of the age, and the reapers are the messengers, or angels. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered and burned in fire, thusly it shall be at the consummation of the age. The Son of Man shall send his messengers, and they shall gather from his kingdom all offenses and those creating lawlessness. And they shall cast them into the lake of fire, into the furnace of fire, I'm sorry. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now if this were a purifying fire, as so many fools pronounce, then the enemies of God would be glorifying him rather than gnashing their teeth. There won't be any glorifying, except by the children of Israel. The enemies will be weeping and gnashing their teeth. Then the righteous shall shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He having an ear must hear. The children of God can sin, but they do not create sin. The fallen angels and their progeny, they are the authors of sin. They planted the tares at the foundation of the world, which is the Adamic society. That is the meaning of another parable found in Genesis chapter 3. 1 John 3, 9 states this, quote, Each who has been born from of Yahweh does not create wrongdoing or sin because his seed abides in him, and he is not able to do wrong, 
Because from of Yahweh he has been born. As David said, and as Paul quoted, Blessed is the man to whom Yahweh will not impute sin. And that describes only the children of Israel, the legitimate seed of Abraham. The parable of the net from Matthew chapter 13, verse 47. This is the Christogenian New Testament. Again, the kingdom of the heavens is like a net, having been cast into the sea, and it gathers from out of every race, which when it is full, bringing upon the shore and sitting, they gather the good ones into vessels. But the rotten ones they cast out. Thusly it shall be at the consummation of the age. The messengers shall go out, and they shall separate the wicked from the midst of the righteous. Only Israel is deemed righteous by Yahweh. And they shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That word translated kind in the King James Version is genos, and it means race. That's what a kind is when we're talking about people. In this parable, Yahshua Christ informs us in the Gospel itself that he foresaw universalism, but that he will not accept universalism. The antithesis to universalism is herein defined, where the bad fish are not sent back into the sea, they're not given train tickets back to Mexico, but are rather cast into the furnace of fire. Again, if this were a purifying fire, rather than a destructive fire, there would be rejoicing and not a weeping and gnashing of teeth. The sea in prophecy often refers to the great mass of the world's people as a whole. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, it says that, quote, the sea is no longer, because it is no longer needed, all the fish are gone. They've been cast into the fire. Or, of course, the good fish are stowed away in vessels. The parable of the sheep and the goats from Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. And when the Son of Man should come in his effulgence, and all the messengers with him, then he shall sit upon his throne of honor, and they shall gather before him all the nations, and he shall separate them from one from another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. I'm sorry, there's too many SHs in there. And he shall indeed stand the sheep at his right hand, and the goats at his left hand. Then the king shall say to those at his right hand, Come, those blessed of thy father, my father, you shall inherit the kingdom which has been prepared for you from the foundation of society. For I hungered, and you gave me to, me to eat. And I thirst, and you had given me to drink. I was a visitor, and you had taken me in. Naked, and you had clothed me. I had been sick, and you watched over me. I was in prison, and you had come to me. 
Then the righteous shall respond to him, saying, Master, when have we seen you hungry and nourished you, or thirsting and had given drink? And when have we seen you a visitor and had taken you in, or naked, and had clothed you? And when have we seen you being sick or in prison and had come to you? And then replying, the king shall say to them, and this verse is important, Truly I say to you, for whomever of the least of my brethren have you done one of these things, you have done them for me. Then he shall say also to those at the left hand, Go for me, accursed, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the false accuser and his messengers, or the devil and his angels. The goat nations, the goat nations have the same fate as the fallen angels, their fathers. For I hungered, and you did not give me to eat. And I had thirst, and you had not given me drink. I was a visitor, and you had not taken me in. Naked, and you had not clothed me. Sick and in prison, and you had not visited me. Then they themselves shall also respond, saying, Master, when have we seen you hungry or thirsting or a visitor or naked or sick or in prison, and had not served you? Then he shall respond to them, saying, Truly I say to you, for whomever you had not done one of the least of these things, neither have you done them for me. And they shall go off into the eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. One thing most commentators miss when assessing this parable is that the goats are judged for how they have treated the sheep. For Yahshua said, for whomever of the least of my brethren have you done one of these things, you have done them for me. From the start, in verses 32 and 33, the division between the sheep and the goats is made upon ethnic lines. They are separated as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. Not behavioral, behavioral lines. The sheep were chosen to be his servant people, and the goats cannot be his servant people. It is whom he chooses, not whom men choose, and thus there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, because he only chose the sheep. In any of these examples, there is no third alternative. One is a sheep or a goat, a wheat or a tare. One is of the good race of fish or of the bad race of fish. As Paul said in Hebrews at chapter 12, verse 8, one is a son or one is a bastard. There is no other choice. There is no third alternative anywhere. Those who offend the offenses of Matthew 13:41. Christ said that he would remove all the offenses. They are the bastards, and they must be, since they were created by man in violation of the Genesis law of kind after kind. The Apostle John explains in the fourth chapter of his first epistle that there are those who are from of God, and there are those who are from of the world. Their origin is with the world. Christ exclaimed in Matthew chapter 15 that every plant 
which my heavenly Father has not planted, shall be uprooted. John the Apostle, speaking to the children of Israel, said, We are from of God. They, meaning the other peoples, are from of the world. While Yahweh created all things, Yahweh only created the things which he created. The things which man creates are only mere corruptions of the creation of Yahweh. And these things cannot ever be restored to Yahweh. The so-called restoration of all things is only a restoration of all the things which Yahweh created. And there are clearly many plants here which he did not plant. The goat nations are goats. They are not sheep because they are bastards and they are not Adam. There is no third alternative which can be honestly and explicitly found in Scripture. Those who pretend to have found a third alternative have invented it for themselves. And with their words, they deceive themselves and they seek to deceive others. Revelation 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and he sitting upon it, from whose presence the earth and the heaven had fled, and not a place is found for them. And I saw the dead, the great ones and the small ones, standing before the throne. And the books had been opened, and another book was opened, which is that of life. And the dead were judged from out of the things written in the books according to their works. And the sea had given over those dead who were in it, and death and Hades had given over those who were in them. And each are judged according to their works. And death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if one is not found written in the book of life, he is cast into the lake of fire. Here, the heaven and earth are allegories to the people of the land and their government. This describes the final judgment of God. All those written into the book of life shall live and all others shall be cast into the lake of fire. Again, like the parables described, there is no third choice. One either goes on to eternal life or to eternal destruction, which is simply a cessation of existence. The sheep nations, the nations of Israel, are preserved. The goat nations all go into the lake of fire. If you believe otherwise, the time to repent is now. There shall indeed be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Joshua Christ himself is the word of life. As the apostle describes in his epistle at 1 John chapter 1, quote, That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we have observed, and our hands have touched concerning the word of life. That the life was made manifest, and we have seen and we bear witness. And we announce to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and has been made manifest to us. Unquote. Their hands, meaning those of the apostles, had touched Christ, the word of life. And if he is the word of life, then the gospel must be the book of life. It is really that simple.
Christ stated at Luke 10.22, All things have been given over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is if not the Father, and who the Father is if not the Son. And the Son shall reveal it to whom he should determine. The same thing is recorded at Matthew 11.27 thusly. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son if not the Father, nor does anyone know the Father if not the Son, and to whom the Son may wish to reveal him. In the Gospel, in John chapter 10, we find this in part. Truly, truly, I say to you that I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If one should enter by me, he shall be preserved, and shall enter in, and shall go out, and he shall find pasture. I have come in order that he would have life, and they would have abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life on behalf of the sheep, not the goats. I am the good shepherd, and I know mine, and mine know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life on behalf of the sheep. And I have other sheep which are not from this pen, and it is necessary for me to bring. And they shall hear my voice, and they shall be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order that I would receive it again. No one takes it from me, rather I lay it down myself. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to receive it again. This command I receive from my Father. But you do not believe, because you are not my sheep. He was speaking to certain of the rulers of Judea, who were of the children of Esau. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give to them eternal life, and they are not lost forever. And one shall not snatch them from my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them from the hand of the Father. I and the Father are one. Therefore, from the gospel it is clear, there is no path to Yahweh God except through Christ, and Christ came only but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel, as he himself exclaimed, which is recorded in Matthew chapter 15. In the new heaven and the new earth, of Revelation chapters 21 and 22, which shall follow. It is therefore manifest that of all the people here in this world presently, there is only a place for the children of Israel, for no one else, except for those other branches of the Adamic race, which Christ attested shall also be resurrected. For the first promise of a restoration to eternal life in the tree, in, in the tree of life, is, which is Yahshua Christ, that first promises in Genesis chapter 3, and no one else is written into the book of life. I hope I've made this point clear. Or I hope that I've chosen the scriptures correctly to make this point clear. All of those, all of those beasts, as Peter calls them, as Peter calls the non-Israelites among us, in the second chapter of his second epistle, all of those non-Israelites among us, which feast and dine with us, all of those people are evil beasts made to be taken and destroyed. That's the words of the Apostle Peter 
That's the words in the prophecy of Ezekiel. That's the words that we see here in the Revelation. We as Christians cannot be ashamed of those words, ever. If we are ashamed of the words of Christ, he shall be ashamed of us when we stand before his judgment seat. Praise Yahweh. Thank you, everybody. I will be here next week with Revelation chapters 21 and 22. Yahweh willing.